Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you work anywhere in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. Today, we're returning to yet another confusing topic in the government world, different types of rates. This episode is brought to you by Skyway Acquisition. If your organization is interested in training from a team of former contracting officers, visit AskSkyway.com and learn more about how Skyway can help both government and industry teams with the acquisition and contract execution process. Okay, let's get started with forward pricing rates. We're talking about different types of rates again. This is sort of a mini-series of rate episodes. That sounds riveting. <laughs> I didn't think of it like that. That's probably not the best way to start to to draw people in, right? It's not a Netflix series. <laughs> Without understanding your rates, you can't understand how to build your price for a government proposal. And you also won't understand how to bill your costs. And it's no wonder this stuff can get confusing really fast. Episode 183 was provisional billing rates. In this episode... We're moving along to another type of rate, forward pricing rate. FPRs. Before we do that, let's stop and say thanks. Let's say thanks this episode to Kristen Aguilar from UIC Government Services. Uh, she's in the Washington, D.C. area. Thanks, Kristen, for liking and sharing our content on LinkedIn because the best way for people to find this stuff that we're giving away for free is for people to like and share it. So thanks for doing that. Thanks, Kristen. Let's do a little recap before we get rolling. We describe provisional billing rates as sort of the guardrails for billing. You don't want to guess too high or too low on a cost-type contract and bill too much or too little. You want to guess just right. I also describe forward pricing rates as an approved guess, and it's really it's the, the contractor's best estimate of what their rates will be in the future based on all the things that may or may not happen during the course of the year. And, and the government agrees to that guess. That's what makes them kind of approved, as both parties are talking about these. There's also final rates, which will be the next episode in this series. And these are negotiated with the government often years after all performance is over and after the contractor closes that fiscal year. Again, the reason that we estimate rates is so that the contractor doesn't owe the government any money and the government doesn't owe the contractor any money at the end of the year. You can't just stick with one rate and keep pricing proposals with it, even though things have changed. Or in the end, when you get to final rates, you'll be wrong. And that's bad. And somebody will owe somebody else a lot of money. And remember, when we're talking about final rates, there's a FAR reference here, 42703-1. There's a policy that has a long-winded way of saying that only one agency needs to establish the final rates. And then they communicate that those established rates across all the government entities. So you only have to do this once, and the FAR reference allows for that. So it isn't like you have to get a new rate for every government customer you have. You get one rate and apply it to every government agency that you serve. Let's dig into forward pricing rates. Forward pricing rates are the result of interaction between the administrative contracting officer and industry. It's like you said before. The two sides are, are agreeing that this is the best estimate for the future. The idea here is to give confidence or provide confidence to the government price analyst that the costs are properly estimated. And the contracting officer may actually be the price analyst in smaller agencies or smaller efforts. Or just when they don't have a price analyst. Right. <laughs> Which also happens. 
So how do you compute these rates? How do you compute your indirect costs? The FAR helps us here. FAR 15.408 has all kinds of tables, and one of them is indirect costs. Yeah, you just can't say, I, I think my rates are this just because. Nope. You have to provide trends and budget data to support your rates. You have to provide all that support to the government to say, this is why, exactly why, I think these will be my rates by the end of the year. And, and this is by contractor, not by individual contract. We keep foot stomping that, but it, it would be an insurmountable amount of work if it were by individual contract. We're talking about forward pricing rates, but there's actually three types of forward pricing rates in this episode. It's sort of a three for one here. It starts out to establish a forward pricing rate agreement. First, the contractor submits a forward pricing rate proposal, and they submit that to the administrative contracting officer to establish forward pricing rates. And this is a good thing. The next step is a forward pricing rate recommendation, an FPRR. And this is the ACO's opinion on the validity of the forward pricing rate proposal, or it's the ACO's opinion about things that may have impacted your rate since your last FPRP. So an FPRR is a little better than an FPRP in a contracting officer's eyes. <laughs> that, that was acronym soup there. But yeah, I, I get what you're saying. The last step, the contractor and the ACO actually negotiate rates. And this is a forward pricing rate agreement. Negotiate, agree, get it? So you start out with the proposal. Then from that proposal, you have a recommendation. And then when that recommendation is formalized, you have an agreement. So it's actually pretty linear. It just makes for an acronym soup. Exactly. So where does this all come from in the FAR? We've already dropped a couple FAR references on you. Here's one more. 42.1701. 42.1701A says that negotiation of forward pricing rate agreements may be requested by the contracting officer or the contractor or initiated by the administrative contracting officer, the ACO. But before they just decide to negotiate a rate agreement, the ACO has to consider whether or not the benefits derived from it are commensurate with the effort of establishing and monitoring it, because it is a lot of work. Monitoring the fluctuations of the wins and losses and the ups and the downs of the overhead rate, that that's not a trivial amount of work to do. And, and that's why most FPRAs only get negotiated with contractors who have a good number of contracts or a significant volume of government contracts is the way the FAR phrases it. 42.1701B, to sum it up, says that after completing these negotiations and establishing an FPRA, the ACO should share those results with the other agencies that are that are contracting with this contractor. It doesn't do a lot of good to negotiate the FPRA if people don't know that it's there to be able to use it, because the idea is to scale it and have more than one agency use it. 42.1701C continues on that communication theme. And to paraphrase, it says that an FPRA requires the contractor to submit to the ACO any significant changes in the cost and pricing data used to support the FPRA. That means once you negotiate it, as soon as you find out there's any significant difference in your rates, you have to tell the government. Paragraph D brings us back to that forward pricing rate recommendation. If you have an FPRA and there have been significant changes in your cost and pricing data, you submit a new FPRP, you submit a new proposal, you negotiate it, that can take some time. In the meantime, the ACO can issue that forward pricing rate recommendation 
to let people know, hey, something's different. Here's what I think it's going to be, but we haven't negotiated yet. And that gives the government contracting officers and the price analysts a little more accurate information to go with. It keeps these changes from being a bottleneck. Because if you keep trying to chase the bouncing ball and you have to wait till it lands, it, it, it doesn't actually land. It right. keeps moving. So you have to be able to use the, the recommendations at points to keep things moving. And that's pretty much what 42-1701-E says. The ACO may negotiate continuous updates to the FPRA. That's a scary word. Continuous. Is that like hourly? <laughs> Is that in real right. time? That sounds like a lot of activity. That goes back to your Sisyphus quote, the, the guy – pushing the ball up the hill and then it just rolls back down. That's what negotiating forward pressing <laughs> rates is. <laughs> that's, that's funny. It's a, it's a Sisyphean analogy. Oh, we got that into two episodes. Awesome. One more FAR reference before we move on. 15.407-3. Actually, that paragraph's called forward pressing rate agreements. And FAR part 15 is contract by negotiation. So while FAR part 42, where we were, is about – that's the activities of managing – contract finances, whereas this is negotiating contracts. So 15407 is more tactical to how do you actually negotiate this stuff into your contract? Two things we should talk about here. Paragraph A says when certified cost and pricing data are required, offers have to describe which forward pricing rate agreement they're using to justify that price proposal. So FPRAs go hand in hand with certified cost and pricing data. 15.4073B says contracting officers will use FPRA rates as a basis for pricing all contracts, modifications, and other contractual actions to be performed during the period covered by the agreement. It doesn't say shall, it says will. This is where it's important to remember that that FPRA is a starting point for all negotiations. And even though it's a bouncing ball, that's what contracting officers are going to stick with unless you have very good reasons to get them off of that rate. And I'll talk about why that matters in a minute. In episode 62, way back in the day, we talked about certified cost and pricing data. And the, the big takeaway here, which you, which you alluded to, is certified cost and pricing data is a, I don't want to say it's a big hurdle, but it's a big commitment for a company to sign up for. When you add the forward pricing rates on top of the certified cost and pricing data, when you stack those together, like you just mentioned, because the forward pricing rates are still moving, the stress of a company signing up to saying, yes, all of these are right, as far as I know, that could be a significant emotional event, which is why it's not something that is taken lightly. When is all this happening? Let's link this to the time zones. During the acquisition time zones, in the market research zone, if you see that it's a cost-type contract that they're contemplating and you don't have forward pricing rates – you may need to talk to the agency and see if they can do a type of contract that you can support, like a fixed price contract. Same, same during the RFP zone. If it comes out in the draft or if none of this happened and you just get see a final RFP. <laughs> that never happens, right? Right. Point is that during the acquisition time zones, you should be thinking about whether or not your forward pricing rates are valid or whether you even have agreed to forward pricing rates. And then the execution time zones to go back to the ball is bouncing as it each time it bounces and the rates change and you win some contracts, some contracts end, your overhead goes up and down. That's being managed throughout the execution time zones in the honeymoon zone. Let's all agree where our starting point is. And then throughout the performance zone, again, you, you have to be communicating. You have to be managing this. And then the recompete zone, you're going to look back and go, wow, that didn't work. Or, go, yeah. <laughs> or you could say this worked like a charm, but e each one of those pieces is going to come up. 
just imagine during the honeymoon zone, it might be a year in a large source selection since those rates were proposed. Now, you're going to award the contract based on what was proposed a year ago, but the honeymoon zone is a good chance for the government and for the contractor to look at what the current rates are and see how that impacts the planned execution of the contract. I think we've circled around why this is so important. Forward pricing rates can be nearly constantly updated. As we learned in the FAR, forward pricing rates can be continuously updated. It's based on forecasting indirect changes and some things that happen that cause those rates to change can be program wins or losses, which has a real impact. Right. If you base your rates on the fact that I'm going to win a billion-dollar contract and I'm going to hire hundreds of people, no matter what you do, that's going to impact your rates. Even if you scale the rest of the overheads to keep up with that direct labor base, your rates are going to change. Same thing if you have lost a major program. If you had if you had a win built into your rate forecast and you didn't actually win it, ooh, now you've projected your rates to be lower because you thought you were going to hire hundreds of people, but you didn't win. So now your rates are going to be higher than you thought. I'm sorry, I'm laughing because that's an indirect cost of your ability to project how successful your business development is. <laughs> and other major changes like a, or a reorganization. If you buy a building, you have or if part of your part of your organization, part of your organization, part of your company is divested. Or if you buy a part of another company. Mergers and acquisitions can seriously impact rates. Yeah, you're, you're blending two different companies. That's going to impact your rates. What these rates provide the government, why they're so important, is they provide context to the, the pricing that the contractor provides to the government. Because, because it's forward pricing. You're looking into the future. You're not doing the math based on what was actually incurred. You're estimating based on all kinds of moving parts. You need that context to make sure both sides understand what that estimate is built from. Yeah, otherwise, like we talked about before, one of you is going to end up with a big bill. And the forward pricing rates, they're not right for every contractor or every situation. I mean, we're kind of foot-stomping that. What it does is it allows the government to scale the evaluation and also the negotiation of the contractor's pricing across all of their contracts. And that leads us right to the government side. Why does the government care about this? This is the contracting officer's dilemma over and over again. It is just time-intensive. Under the theory of an ounce of preparation you know, beats unraveling the billing structure later, it's easy to make the argument that these make sense, particularly if somebody else has done one for you. In accordance, <laughs> in accordance with 42703-1, which we talked about, if another agency has done one, use those rates. So go looking for that. However, if they've not, understand that cost-type contracts, are, are they, they're burdensome to manage by definition. And so while FPRAs can make them a little easier – because it allows you to, to negotiate rates ahead of time. Again, this is not something that can just be done overnight. Yeah, they, they come with a lot of work. And all this, of course, is leading towards negotiation of those final rates and contract closeout. You're trying to get it as right as possible ahead of time when you're guessing what the rates will be and while you're negotiating changes to the contract later. It's going to be different. It could be different anyway from where it was when you started. Like you said, continuously changing. You got to keep your eye on them. And that leads me to the industry side. Industry without process and serious diligence in your estimating procedures for your rates, you can set your company up for a loss on a fixed price contract, 
or a major overrun or underrun on cost-type contracts. If you don't know what you're doing in estimating what your rates are going to be in the future, there is risk. Again, like you've said a couple times, Kevin, somebody's going to owe somebody some money. Okay, so since these FPRAs can streamline the process, can you require them? I mean, do you see them required in RFPs? I have seen RFPs that require an FPRA. It, it seems a little burdensome for those who don't have them already. Right. Actually, could be an, not a burden, but an impossibility. If you're <laughs> a small or a mid-sized company, you may not rise to that level of importance that's required to get ACO attention. So you may not be able to get an FPRA. I remember when I worked for a very small company, I would beg the administrative contracting officer, please come out, audit my rates, let's negotiate prices because there are all kinds of RFPs that requested an FPRA. And if not, you have to provide all kinds of data that the contracting officer may negotiate with you separately. I wanted that ACO to come out and negotiate rates, but we're too small to even get their attention. There's so many big contractors sucking up all the time. And we've talked about this a lot, Kevin. The government, especially in DCAA, the, like the audit agencies and, and the administrative agencies, they're, they're way understaffed right now. There's just not enough people to go around and do all of this work. Yeah, so they, they go where the, the biggest bang for their buck, to say it that way, is going to be on the contractors that have billions of contracts, not, not the ones that have millions. And I'll give the alternate political stance. They may not be way understaffed. There may be way too many regulations and way too many things that government people have to do. And if you reduce those regulations, you wouldn't need so many people. There, how's that for politically correct? <laughs> I think the truth somewhere in between. <laughs> like we said before, rates change all the time. They may change faster than you're able to keep up with with forward pricing rate agreements. And that can lead to very difficult negotiations with a contracting officer. If your forecasted rates are different than the FPRA, but the FPRA hasn't been adjusted through, through an FPRR, for instance, talked about that. So hopefully by now, all those acronyms are just flowing through people's minds. But if you know your rates are going to be different, and the contracting officer is looking at the FAR and saying, well, I need to stick with the FPRA. You're setting yourself up for an overrun or an underrun. You could. Or on a fixed price contract, you could be setting yourself up for, well, I can't negotiate more fee, but I know my rates are going to be higher. So I'm actually not going to make any money here. Which, as we've talked about many times, <laughs> it's not a healthy place to be. My point is rates are fluid and FPRAs are semi-fixed. FPRAs just don't move as quickly. So much of the time, contractors are operating with a disconnect between what they think their rates are going to be and what has been negotiated through an FPRA. And the point of this whole exercise was to get the rates as close to the future truth as we can. And if we go into the negotiation with an old FPRA, we're setting ourselves up to miss that target. So make sure you've got the most right. current information because right. the goal is to make it current. The goal is to be as close as we can to not getting a big bill one way or the other. So contracting officers, if your contractor says, I know I have an FPRA, but here's something that happened and we haven't worked this out with the ACO yet to get a new FPRA. Do a conference call with the ACO. Get in contact with your ACO and find out if that is what is happening. And if you can't get an update from the ACO, Take the contractor seriously because you don't want to build in an underrun or an overrun either. Yeah, because that big bill at the end is going to come to your customer. If we if you underrun, if the contractor says if, if the contractor says it's going to be a hundred bucks, 
and you're saying, oh, no, your old thing says 80 and it ends up being 100 bucks, that 20 bucks is coming out of your customer's pocket. And they're going to go, well, why didn't you tell me? And you're going to remember this conversation. Raising my hand, by the way. <laughs> it, it wasn't quite that linear, but I'm, I remember thinking, oh, yeah, I should have had you in that meeting. <laughs> so it, this happens. It's very easy to not communicate the risk is being transferred effectively. It's much easier as a contracting officer to say, the FPRA is there. I'm sticking with it because that doesn't require any more work. I stepped into that trap several times. I don't even want to say how many, especially with ECPs during contract performance. I just figured, ah, oh, there'll be ups, there'll be downs. And by the end, it'll all work out. We don't have to negotiate a different one every time. The next FPRA will be a little bit wrong too. And it'll probably <laughs> be on the other side of the scale. So at the end of the contract, we'll work out okay. Eh, that doesn't always happen like that. You think the water is going to settle when, when everything moves around, but it usually settles a little bit higher than you think. Okay, let's let the water settle for this episode and wrap it up. Forward pricing rates provide context on the contractor's pricing, but at scale, because it's across all of the company's contract. But be aware, scale is not always the answer. The right number of contracts to decide to do this, to decide to set up forward pricing rates, it's a judgment call. As we heard in FAR Part 42, the contracting officer, the administrative contracting officer, has to consider the amount of effort it takes to establish them and monitor them. So this may not apply to every contract. However, you know when it could apply, but also knowing when it should not apply is just as critical because it can sound like a benefit. It could sound like it's going to be easier, but it's not a trivial amount of work. And to do it right does take some effort. Like, you know, it's almost a full-time job for people. When you're working with cost-type contracts, there is an additional burden for government and industry. It costs more at every step of the way. And as we talked about in our contract closeout episode, it stretches out for many years after everyone that worked it has forgotten all about that contract. Or retired. And speaking of retired, it's time for us to retire for the day. I'll talk oh, to well, you later. <laughs> that was tacky. All right, see you, Paul. I'll talk to you later. Okay, that's it for today's episode. If you need help with rates, remember, visit our sponsor, Skyway Acquisition, at askskyway.com. Thanks for joining us. Like we should have a jingle for that. For what? For the recap, like a you know, like oh. a jingle recap. Doo, 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 like that sounded good back, <laughs> like back in time. <laughs> FERAs go hand. So FERAs go hand. <laughs> what did you do? I hit my hand on my stand-up thing. Gesticulating too much. <laughs>